Just a few weeks ago, it was Mother's Day, and I um, shared with y'all that we'd be looking at really the same exact passages that we looked at on Mother's Day, that we would look at these same passages on Father's Day. Uh, And so, uh, being true to my word that I gave y'all, we're going to look at Genesis, and we're going to look at uh, Ephesians chapter 5, and we we might squeeze a few other references in there, but for those that are here today... Uh, Yes, it is Father's Day. Uh, This is going to be geared somewhat towards just the fathers. But if it is from the Word of God, it is never just for one specific person or one specific office. So uh, if you came here today thinking, oh, this is Father's Day, so this is going to be for the fathers, I I can kind of just coast through this one. Please don't coast through it. And uh, if... Uh, for the for the ladies in the house, if you say, "Well, this is Father's Day. This is where the preacher's going to get him." Yes, my husband's going to be set straight today. Uh, just listen. Um, hopefully, we can all learn and and gain wisdom and instruction. Yes, correction and some reproof from God's word. Uh, but our prayer is that each and every person and families would be strengthened and edified together. But the same questions, really, as well, that we ask on Mother's Day. To the mothers, what what is your purpose? Why were you created? What, uh, the, uh, the the even the idea of female, where did it come from? What is God's intended purpose? How do you serve within the family? So on and so forth, and and so just that same structure is what we're going to look at here with the men. Genesis two, verse ten, with this. With this question in your mind, why why are we created? Why are we here? Genesis 2 verse 10, A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole of Havilah and where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Um, Onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gahan. It is the one that flowed around the land of Cush. And the name of the third river is Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. One thing to note just briefly. Before the fall, before the fall, Adam was instructed to tend to the garden, to keep it, to work it. And then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, He made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become 
one flesh. And we know there was also instruction for Adam and Eve to to be fruitful and to multiply. And so right out of the gate, right out of the gate, the first two chapters of Genesis, we have man, we have woman, we have Adam, we have Eve. But also right out of the gate, Adam and Eve are together. We we have this, this, this glimpse, almost an immediate glimpse at what it is to be husband, be fruitful and multiply, father. Right out of the gate, we have... We have this structure of really of family. We know that in just a few verses, if we were to continue just to read through Genesis, Cain and Abel would would be on the scene. And then Seth. And then that whole lineage after Seth. And so it does not take long for this concept of marriage, of family. Right there in Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they will become one flesh. So again, right out of the gate, I do want to mention before the fall, Adam was told to work, to tend to the garden. So in a very simplistic form, you say men, one of the, one of the things that men were created for was, was work, to tend to God's creation. To oversee it, to tend to it, to, to work the land specifically here. And it was not good for man to be alone. A lot of times men especially, you will, you'll find that a, a lot of men tend to think that they're better off as a loner. They don't really know how to build relationships. They, they have a hard time connecting with people. Right? The bottom line is, if God says that it is not good for man to be alone, that it is not good for man to be alone. Man was made for relationship. It is good for us to have relationships. It is good more specifically here. We see it's not good for man to be alone. So God made Eve. It is good for man and woman to come together in marriage and to become one flesh. And it is good for man and woman to be fruitful and multiply. But then we come to the fall. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. Now, on Mother's Day, we look specifically, of course, at the fall as it pertains to Eve. And Eve was told that her desire will be for her husband, but her husband will rule over her. She was told that there would be great pain in childbearing now. And and Kristen is is very much looking forward uh, to going through that once again. Um, So, that is clearly a joke. Um, But... We, we, we made the comment, you know, if every time a woman births a child and she might have that thought, why does this have to hurt so much? Why is this so painful? Even that, there's, there's like a biblical tie in there. Our minds should go back to creation and the fall. Because of the fall, there's great pain in childbearing. The, the wife will desire to have the authority over her husband, but her husband will have the authority over her. And we talked about how common that is these days. With that in mind, look at the first thing that is said to Adam here. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain shall you eat of it all the days of your life. A lot of, time, a lot of times Eve gets a bad rap. You know, I've heard the joke and maybe you've heard it too. That, oh, do you want to know why women can't decide where they want to eat? Because the last time they decided what they wanted to eat, they ruined it for all mankind. 
Okay? So Eve sometimes gets a bad rap or whatever else. People say, well, if Eve wouldn't have done this or whatever else. Note specifically what the Lord just said to Adam. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree. Adam was not at the head. Adam was not leading. Adam subjected himself to his wife's authority. Eat of this tree. Knowing full well what the command from God was. Adam said, okay, I'll listen to you, honey, sweetie. I'll eat of that fruit. And there's a penalty there. And there's nothing, before we even go any further, there's nothing offensive about that. There's nothing sexist about that. Okay? There's everything biblical about that. God is a God of order. If God is sovereign and He alone has authority over all creation, then He gets to set the order of things. And He has set the order of things. Men are to be the head of household. That doesn't just mean that you work the hardest and make the most money. That means you are the head. You are over that family. Think of it as almost like a covering for that family. A covering for your wife. You're the, you're the head of that family. The first thing that was said is because you've listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Curses the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Mother's Day, we mentioned this as well. And you hear this, it's still very common. I'm not trying to be funny when I say this. This, this paints even more of a clear picture. The phrase, happy wife, happy life, is not a good motto to live by. Men, our motto should be, may God be glorified. Is God pleased? That is our aim, to please God. As a husband, as a father, as a man, is God pleased? That is our aim. That's it. But notice, Adam was already working. He was told to work the garden, tend to the garden. Then he says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it will bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. So, you're still going to reap the harvest, but that harvest is going to come through great toil, through great labor. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So if anybody has ever went out into the yard to do some yard work, the farmer's here, you plant a crop, and the weed's overtaken, or you've got to continue to tend to it, and it's, it's a hard, and you think, why does it have to be so hard? It would be wonderful to just plant a seed, it sprouts, you reap the harvest, everything's fine. It goes back to the fall. All of those things. And, and don't overlook that. When you're working the land, when you're working in your yard, when you're sweating, when you're, when you're working your fingers to the bone and you think, oh, this is hard labor, this is hard toil. Why does, why does this have to be this way? Why does my back have to hurt? Why does my shoulder have to hurt? Why am I in pain when I work? Take it back to Scripture and say, oh yeah, that's right. There was a fall. We live in a sin-cursed world. There was a fall. And we are living under the, the repercussions of that fall. And even that should remind us, there is God and there is a Savior. There is a Savior from sin. There is a Savior from the penalty of sin, the weight and the burden of sin. And there is a promise of an eternal home where there is no pain, there is no toil, there is no struggle, there is no sin. 
Everything will be made right. Our hope is in Christ. Even in those little moments, our minds ought to be taken back to that. But in short, to sum it up, before we, before we go to Ephesians 5, Adam was created. Specifically, what was he created for? To glorify God. How was Adam told to glorify God? Tend, tend the garden, work the garden, subdue the land. Okay? He was given Eve. It was not good for him to be alone. So there was Eve. The institution of marriage right there in Genesis 2. A man will leave his mother and father, cleave to his wife. There will be one flesh. God gives Eve and Adam rejoices, at last, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, at last. Right out of the gate, we see this concept of fathers, mothers, family, be fruitful and multiply. We see the fall. There was already work involved, but now it's going to be laborious, it's going to be hard, it's going to be toilsome. We see that Eve's desire is going to be to be over her husband, but it's, it's the husband's place to lead. The husband will have uh, will rule over her because that is God's order. And so I want everyone to hear this. Male, female, mother, father, single, married, doesn't matter. Listen, this is just a basic Christian truth. None of us None of us will ever be truly at rest and joyful in our life as a Christian if we are pursuing things that are not God's intended design and intended order for our lives. If we are living our lives in a way where we are pursuing things or we, or we are living out our lives in ways that are out of order or out of step with what God has ordained as good, then you can rest assured you will miss out on peace and joy and rest in your soul because you're not submitted to the order and the the design that God gave His creation. And so it is with men as well. So with that thought that the male is to be the head, the male is to to lead and to be over the home, we turn now to Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians 5, we do have it laid out before us what the, what the marriage is supposed to look like. And I know this is Father's Day, but we can't, we can't really accurately talk about being a father until we first address being the husband. The first part of this chunk of Ephesians 5 verse 22 is where it says, Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. And that... T- that ties right back to Genesis. Paul isn't pulling that out of a hat. That's going right back to Genesis. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, His body, and is Himself its Savior. <clears throat> now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything to their husbands. If you were not with us on Mother's Day, I will make this brief remark. That does not mean 
that regardless of what type of husband you have, whether he's godly, ungodly, or that, that, do, that is not painting the picture that a husband ought to be able to say, make me a sandwich, iron my clothes, go do this, go do that, and the wife just says, yes, sir. That is not what that is supporting. Don't even think that way. The, the way to stay focused and to hone in on what is actually being said here is the fact that Paul relates all of this to Christ. To Christ. Even when he says, wives, submit to your own husbands. He says, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, His body, and is Himself its Savior. That's the key. How are wives supposed to submit? Is it just a blind submission? Well, he's my husband, so I've got to say yes, sir, to whatever he said. No, it is a submission as the way in the way that the church is submitted to Christ because Christ is the head of the church and even gave himself for her. Keep that focus. Don't buy into the world's definition of submission or the world's definition of, of obedience and stuff like that. Stay focused on Scripture. Stay focused on Christ. Then we come to the husbands, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So Paul's right there. Men, I know how our minds are prone to work at times. We like to have a plan. We like to have a step-by-step process. And then we tell ourselves, well, I'm going to do those steps and then I'll be what I need to be. Or I'm going to do those steps and then the job will be done. Okay? If that's how your mind works, let me give you one step to stay focused on the rest of your life. Step one, look to Christ. There is no step two. Step one, look to Christ. There is no step two. You cannot be the husband you need to be. You cannot be the father you need to be. You cannot be the man you need to be apart from Christ. Look to Him. Look to Him. And that's exactly what Paul does here. Husbands, love your wives. And the man might say, well, how am I supposed to love my wife? Tell me, tell me the best way to love my wife. And some of us, and this is going to be, some of you may chuckle, I'm not saying this be funny necessarily, I'm saying this because it's true. Some of us may feel in our, in our hearts, all I want is for my wife to be happy. All I want is for my wife to, to be satisfied and I keep doing this and I keep doing that. If somebody would just tell me how to love my wife in, in a way that would just make her and keep her happy, please tell me because I'm all ears. And vice versa, sometimes the wives may think something similar about their husbands. But, but the bottom line is this. That's not what you need to be focused on. Your number one goal as a husband, as a father, as a man, your number one goal can't be how do I please my wife? If we, if we take on that mindset, we've actually already ventured into the realm of idolatry. We're idolizing our wives and we're putting our wives where God belongs. Our number one goal as husbands, as fathers, our number one goal is how do we please God? How do we honor and glorify God? And that's why I say step one is look to Christ. There is no step two. 
Love your wives as Christ loved the church. And from this point, from this point on, Paul gives us a picture of the gospel here. So it's almost as if you could say, okay, <clears throat> how do I how am I a good husband? How do I how do I become a good husband? And the answer is consider the gospel. Consider the Christ of the gospel. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. That's salvation right there. None of us would be saved here today. There would be no salvation. There would be no hope of salvation if Christ did not give Himself up on the cross. There's the gospel right there. The bride of Christ is the church. And Christ loved her with such a love that He gave Himself for her to save her, to redeem her. You want to be a good husband? You want to be a good father? Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Set your eyes upon Christ day in and day out. He gave Himself for her. That He might sanctify her. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. So that he may he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That is salvation from start to finish. The love of Christ in which he gave himself for the bride, to save her, to redeem her, that he might sanctify her, that she would be purified, that she would be cleansed. That's sanctification. On our end, sanctification is us. Becoming more like Christ. We're being molded into the image of Christ. So that He may present her to Himself in splendor. Without spot, without wrinkle. A perfect bride, spotless, blameless, redeemed. That He might present her to Himself in splendor. That's glorification. That's that's the whole thing from start to finish. So now we start, as husbands, we might start to get a more clear picture and we think, whoa, how, how can I love like that? Look to Christ. Look to Christ. We must know Him. Paul says, I believe it's actually in Ephesians in one of the earlier chapters, he says, I pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of Christ. That surpasses understanding. That's how much we should know Christ. To know Him well. To know what Christ taught. To know how Christ responded to things. To know His example and to know it well. So that we can display that love to our wives to our children, so that we can teach that love to our wives and to our children, so that we can exemplify that love to our wives and to our children and to those around us. You will not find what you need as a husband and a father in a self-help book or in a 10 steps to be a great father book. You will only find what you need. First and foremost, as a sinner in need of salvation, as a man, as a husband, and as a father, you will only find it in Christ alone. Look to Christ. 
You say, well, where do I, where do I, where do I learn about how Christ laid down His life for His bride, the Word? Well, well, where do I learn how God's people become sanctified and purified, the Word? Well, 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 where do I learn more about the bride of Christ being presented in glory, spotless and blameless? Where can I learn more about that, the Word? Look to Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. He gave Himself for her. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Salvation. He purifies her, cleanses her, sanctification. He presents her to Himself blameless in glory. That's glorification. This is an invitation. And this is, if you've never thought about it this way before, I want to invite you to begin to think about it this way. Being a husband, being a father, but specifically here in Ephesians 5, we haven't gotten to the kids part yet. Being a husband is an invitation but don't think of it as an invitation that's like, hey, you, uh, if you want to. You, this is a stern, direct invitation. You can do this. You need to do this. I'm inviting you, think this way. I'm inviting you, renew your mind and think this way. Being a husband is an invitation to constantly consider Christ day in and day out. And if that seems like a burden to you, I would humbly ask you to reconsider the way that you're thinking. Why would it be a burden to constantly have at the forefront of your mind Christ, the Savior of sinners? Christ, the one who, if you're here today as a believer, Christ, the one who is... Saved you from your sin. Who has spared you from the wrath of God and took, and taken that wrath upon Himself. Christ. The only hope for sinners of the world. Christ, the hope of salvation. Christ, who is Lord over all. Christ, the one of whom all authority in heaven and on earth was given Him. And He shared that with us before His ascension. Why would that ever be considered a burden to constantly consider Him day in and day out? And that's not just for the men. That's for the women here as well. But based upon what we've read as far as being a husband in Paul's mind, this is a clear invitation to constantly consider Christ day in and day out with how you love your wife how you're leading your wife, how you're leading your household, you cannot do it if your eyes are not fixed upon Christ. A blessed invitation for dedicated, intentional thinking of Christ. How He loves, how He serves, how He obeys, and how He accomplishes. Because you say, well, that would be great. I want to accomplish things like Jesus accomplished. I want to walk in His footsteps. How did Jesus accomplish the salvation of His bride? By being obedient to the Father. Humbling Himself. And being obedient even to the death of the cross. How did Jesus accomplish all that He accomplished? Jesus' life was, was rife with, with uh, persecution. With struggle. With pain. It's not going to be 
easy. I think sometimes as men we get in our heads like, I'm going to be a good husband and they, oh, when Father's Day comes around, I'm going to get my gifts and I'm going to do this because I've been a great father and oh, when I'm a great father, the kids are going to do what they need to do and they're going to listen perfectly and my wife is going to be happy and we're just going to have an awesome life and it's going to be easy because I'm being the husband that I need to be. What game show was it? Family? Eh. Yes, God will bless those efforts and God will bless the fruit of your labor. That does not equal that your children will be perfectly behaved all the time. That doesn't equal that your wife will be happy all the time and content all the time. In fact, on par with the rest of Scripture, oftentimes, if if a husband, just using that specifically, if a husband, if a father says, okay, I'm, I'm repenting of the way that I've been Living, I'm pursuing God now. We're gonna we're gonna get our house in order. There's gonna be some obstacles. There's gonna be some struggle. There's gonna be some bad days. There may even be some kickback. There might even be kickback from family members. There might be kickback from friends. Why are y'all living this way now? Y'all really think that way? That's archaic. Some of the women might catch flag. You want Him to lead you? You don't think you're capable of doing what He can do? You want that? That's crazy. You must think you're weak or something. The world will come up with all all kinds of stuff. But remember this. God who has created all things is a God of order. And we are rebelling against Him. And we are. There is something towards us. We will not be At rest, we will not be at peace. We will not know the full joy of salvation if we are not submitted to His order and His way of doing things. So there may be kickback from family, from friends, but the response ought always to be, we are out to glorify God. Our aim is to glorify Him and to please Him. If you're not pleased with how we're living, that's fine, because we're out to please Him. If you've got something wrong with the way that we're living, that's fine because our aim is to please Him. More Christians, more Christian families need to become more comfortable saying things like that. But that's another sermon for another time. We cannot be men who glorify God if we do not know Christ and know Him well. If you are here today and you say, well, Caleb, already 30 minutes into the sermon, it's almost 12, it's almost lunchtime. But oh man, I'm already thinking about how I probably haven't been the husband I need to be. I probably haven't been the father that I need to be. And I, What do I do? How do I fix that? Repent and look to Christ. Christ is the perfect husband to an imperfect bride. Christ is the perfect husband who serves a perfect father. Amen? So who do we look to for our hope? Who do we look to for our salvation? Who do we look to for our sanctification? Christ. Women, you cannot be the wives, the woman, the the mother that you need to be if you do not know Christ and know Him well. Back to Ephesians 5. 
Verse 28, In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of His body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Paul goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 and quotes it. That means in a very in a very real way when we when we read Genesis chapter two, we know what God had in mind. Adam and Eve didn't, but we can read Genesis two and say, "Look right there, God, He's already pointing us to Christ." Even with the institution of marriage, God is pointing us to Christ, and we know that because Paul pulls from that here in Ephesians chapter five. He says it's a great mystery, but I'm speaking of Christ and His church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. To be married is a holy calling. Wives, you glorify God most. You shine the the hope of Christ most when you are walking according to His order. When you are joyfully submitted to your husband, who ought to be joyfully submitted to the Father and leading the household in a Christ-like manner. That is what we are called to do and to be as families because the first little section there in Ephesians 6, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your mother and your father. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, there's a way in which we are to parent that glorifies God. And it is not by provoking our kids to anger, nagging them, going after them, pointing out every little thing. But it is nurturing them and teaching them and, and, and instructing them. Instructing them how? Well, this is how I was raised. It was good enough for me. It ought to be good enough for them. No. Well, I was raised this way and I, it didn't hurt me. Okay. Well, is there any ways that you can improve on the way that you were raised by making it more God-honoring, more biblical? What's the standard? The standard is God and His Word. We are not called to teach our children what we think they need to know. We are not called to raise our children the way that we were raised. Now, unless, if you were blessed with faithful, godly parents who who actually lived this out before you, then yeah, you can just keep the train going. But that's still not what we're called to do. Each mother, each father, each family, specifically the father, is called to do what? Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You are not the standard. Well, I'm the head of this household and what I say goes. Mm-mm. It ought to be, I'm the head of this household and I'm submitted to the Lord and what the Lord says goes. You are not the standard in your home, Father. God and His Word is the standard. With that being said, briefly turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. You say, well, how often ought we to teach our children the things concerning God? 
How often are we to instruct? How often should we do these things? What is most important? I want to teach my child a good work ethic. I want to teach my child hard work. I want to teach my child discipline. If my child is good at sports, I want to I want to nurture that. I want them to be the best at sports that they can be. If they play an instrument, I want them to be the best at that instrument that they can be. Well, all of that's fine and well. But if we teach our children work ethic and discipline and being the best that they can be, if, if we teach our children those things detached from Christ and the gospel, we've taught them nothing. You say, oh, I'll say it again. If we teach our children work ethic and discipline and being the best that they can be and doing stuff right, if you're going to do it, do it right. Now, my parents are here. They know I heard that before. If you're going to do it, do it right. That, but if we teach our children that detached from Christ and the gospel... We have actually taught them nothing. You say, Caleb, nothing is such a strong word. Where do you get that from? We read from Proverbs 1 earlier. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of wisdom. So if we teach our kids all of this wisdom, work ethic, discipline, being the best you can be, working hard, being honest, telling the truth all the time, managing your money well, all of that. If we teach them all of this wisdom, but it's detached from the Lord, and we're not, they haven't even begun to know anything. We've taught them nothing. We have taught them nothing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if the fear of the Lord is not there, then maybe it's us. Maybe we have not even begun to be wise. Maybe we don't know anything. Our children need to know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But Deuteronomy chapter 6 this is, of course, after the Exodus. God has redeemed His people, pulled them out. And here in verse 4 of Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord uh, your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You will teach them diligently to your children. How are we to teach our children? Diligently. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. Now, i got confidence that most of us are we're pretty smart people here this morning. And when you do the math on what I just said there, that sounds like all day, every day. You will teach them when you sit in your house. You might have some leisure time. You might be sitting down for family dinner. Whenever you sit in your house, teach your children the commands of God, the Word of God. And when you walk by the way, when you're out running your errands, when you're out working or when you're out uh, going to tend to your flocks or when you're walking by the way, when you're out and about, teach your children diligently. Okay? When you lie down. Alright, so... Okay, so we're laying down, we're resting, we're going to bed, lie down, teach your children the Word. Alright, so what do I do when I wake up? When you rise, teach your children diligently. When you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise... Instruct your children in the Lord. Instruct your children in the Lord. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Why is that so important? Think about it this way. Think about the actual Exodus. If we were alive in a day and age where we were the Israelites in Egypt and we saw the power of God rain down plagues upon the Egyptians... And we saw the power of God that took 
the firstborn of all the Egyptians, but yet He spared us. He saved us. And then as we were, as we were on our way, the Egyptians came after us and he, he parted a sea for us so that we would be His and that we would be safe and we would be redeemed from the bondage of Egypt. And then after we crossed, He caused that same sea to drown all those that were in pursuit. But He spared us. If we were alive and we saw that, would we not want our children to know this is the God that you serve? The God that you serve has the power to strike down and He has the power to save. And in His grace and in His mercy, He has saved us. And we will serve Him because He is worthy. Would we not want our children to know that God? It is no different. If we say God has saved us from our sin, that sin crushed us. That sin killed us. We were in bondage to sin. And when there was no rescuer, when there was no redeemer, God sent His Son to save us from the bondage of sin and the corruption and the slavery to sin. And we're free and we use that freedom to teach our children the things of the world. To teach our children just how to live a good, honest American life. That may be the height of foolishness. Why would we not not want our children to know our God, the true God of all creation, who invites us to call Him Father? Why would we not devote our entire lives parenting to instilling that knowledge and instruction into our children. Is there anything more important for our children to understand? Of course not. Is there anything more life-giving, more instructive, and more gracious and more kind that we could give to our children? Of course not. <coughs> well, our, our children don't like to hear stuff about that. It's really hard to have those conversations for your sake and for theirs go through the hard times. Take your time. Fight those battles. God is with you. The very reason that they don't enjoy hearing those things at times is because it is true. They need to be born again. And through the faithful instilling of the gospel and the hope of Christ given from the parents to the children, God may very well use those efforts to raise those children up to new life. We are absolute fools. Not to dedicate our lives as parents, mothers and fathers in instilling the hope of Christ, the the hope of the gospel, the knowledge of the true God of all creation, instilling that into our children. So lastly, families. I've talked about mothers and fathers, but families. Our lives as a family, our life should be a testimony of God's glory as displayed in Christ His Son. The marriage is a display of Christ and His bride. As we have children and they grow up, we're we're instructing them and teaching them the ways of the Lord and they go out into the world and they shine as lights and they're being sent out into the world. And so the gospel goes out even more so. We can teach our children many things 
But let us not forget that the fear of the Lord is the very beginning of wisdom. So work ethic, time management, money management, athletic ability, talents, whatever it may be. Even good deeds. Well, I just want to teach my kid to be a good person. You can't teach your kid to be a good person apart from Christ because there are no good people. You must be born again. Anything good in us is not us, but it's Christ in us. It all comes back to that. Everything in life is tethered back to the eternal truth of God and His Word. So men here today and women alike, but fathers... If you're, if you're hearing this and you're like, I've not been the father I need to be. I've not been the husband I need to be. I'm not, I haven't been the man that I need to be. If you don't get anything else out of the sermon, just remember the one step that I told you. Look to Christ. Look to Christ for salvation. It's got to start there. If you're not saved, then all of your efforts to be that husband you need to be, to be that father you need to be, they're ultimately going to fall short. Look to Christ for salvation. The only hope of the sinner for salvation and freedom from their sin is Christ and His finished work of redemption. Look to Christ for forgiveness. Sometimes in a sermon like this, people may feel, man, the preacher kind of wanted to make us feel bad. He, He was talking about all the stuff we might be doing wrong. That's not the goal here. But if you have conviction in your heart, if you feel the weight of things you've been falling short of in your life, look to Christ. Look to Christ for forgiveness. If you're here today as a Christian father and you realize I have fallen short, I'm guilty. Jesus paid for those sins on the cross. You're free from the burden of that sin. And you are free to not live in that sinful pattern anymore. You're free. Look to Christ for forgiveness. Look to Christ for strength and endurance. What do I do when it gets really hard? What do I feel? What do I do when I feel like the kids are upset with me? Well, my wife is upset with me. Everybody's upset with me. I'm not doing anything right. I feel like I'm not doing anything right. But all I'm doing is trying to please God. Look to Christ for strength and endurance. Run the race and run it well. You say I'm so tired. I'm trying to be the father I need to be. I'm trying to be the husband I need to be. I'm just worn out. I'm just I'm just tired. Look to Christ for rest. Look to Christ for rest. God is not expecting you to be a perfect husband, a perfect father. Look to Christ. He's the perfect husband. Look to God, the Father. He's the perfect Father. Let your eyes and your heart be set upon Christ. Seek the things which are above. And work and serve your family from a place of rest. Your salvation does not hinge upon your performance as a husband or a father. If you are saved, you're saved to the uttermost. Look to Christ for salvation. And from that place of rest, you say, Thank you, God, that I get the privilege and the joy of being a father, being a husband. Look to Christ for rest. Do not serve as if your salvation depends upon it. Your salvation is settled in Christ. Serve joyfully. And at the times you get tired and wearisome and, 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 and overcome, look to Christ for strength and endurance to run the race. May God be glorified in all of these truths that we've discussed today. I pray that we as men, me too, that we as men have been convicted, that we've been encouraged, that we've been reproved, that we've been pointed to truth at what we need to be doing, what we ought to be doing. And I pray that we would repent of those things and turn aside from those errors and that we would look to Christ together. 
for the mothers and the women in the room as well. There's obviously there's plenty of biblical instruction for women uh, in Scripture, and uh, again. Godly wives, godly mothers are those that are joyfully submitted to their husbands. And look to Christ for that. Look to Christ for that. And may our children know, and may our children hear over and over again as we raise them, child, you know your kids' names, I'm not going to try to know, but you look at your child and you say, son, daughter, look to Christ. Look to Christ. Let's close in a word of prayer.